0: If you would, open your word to um, Matthew chapter 28. It's a very familiar passage, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, we'll read, I'll read verses 16 through 20, and then I'll pray for us. And if you would, pray for me, and we will sit at the feet of Jesus to hear what he has to say through this familiar passage through the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 8, um, excuse me, 28, verse 16 through 20. And I will read. And, and here's, here's the thing. I, I, I've heard, I've been hearing a lot of, lot of good things about Grace City. And I heard how welcoming and loving and sweet you are. And that has been very true. But as Pastor Matt said, um, hey, I'm a black Baptist preacher. So that means I need you to talk back sometimes, you know. I need you, if something's good, I just need you to say amen. If, it, if it's too good, if you're uncomfortable, just rock side to side. That's all you got to do. If, if if it's too good, just raise your hand. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. But I, I just need to know that you're with me. I need you to know to with me. God's word is living, active, and we get to participate and worship as we sit as the feet. So Matthew 28, um, verse 16 through 20, and it reads as such. <clears throat> it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some... Doubted. Interesting there. And Jesus came. Don't forget that there. Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's take a moment and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Let's just remember God is with us. He's not some God that's lofty sitting in some ivory tower, but yet he's present with us in this very moment. So, Father, how awesome and excellent is your name. Father, I pray that as we get into your word, as we sit at your feet, that you would minister to our hearts like you know how. God, I pray for the Holy Spirit to just pour and ignite in us the things that need to be ignited, Lord. So, God, whatever we're feeling, whatever burdens, whatever life that we're carrying with us into this room, I pray that we obey your word and do exactly as you invite us to do. And that's to rest in you right now. So, God, I pray that you would uh, uh, convict some. I pray that you would bring people to life. I pray that you would bring life from dead places, Father, And I pray that we realize how dependent and needy we are. No matter how old we get, I pray, Father, that we will have a childlike faith, always wanting and grabbing at you because we need you so desperately. Hide me by the high cross. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Let me ask you a few questions. <clears throat> have you ever received an instruction or some type of action that you need to go do? How 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 have you respond? And if if, if I'm on, if you if you think about it, depending on what you're asked to do or what instructions you're giving, your response to it may vary. Some of you may be excited and delighted and say, hey, sure, whatever you need, I will go do it. Uh, just tell me exactly what I need to do. On the flip side, some of us may go grudgingly. We may have a little Jonah in us, right? We say, "Ah, oh, I don't want to go do that. I'm good on that. But yet we know we need to go do it, but yet we still run anyway. Or many of us may have The posture, again, as I said, is that of one of Isaiah. Hey, send me, I will go. Whatever the case may be, we all have a response when it comes to instructions that we receive. Our posture dictates how we carry that out at times. And we're going to see in God's word in this great commission, this familiar passage that we've recited all the time. We hear all the time that every church in America's mission statement is pretty much predicated off of this passage. It's just said in a different way, but coming from this same passage here to go and make disciples. But if I'm honest here, people, if we're honest here, we are prone to lose sight of this great commission. We're prone to lose sight of this great commission when we, could, uh, um, when we decide to live in our own authority, in our own power, how we see fit. We're prone. And so that's why we have to rehearse the gospel every day. We can't just get over it. You got to continue to repetitively recite the gospel, speak it into your life, pray it over your life, pray it for your brothers and sisters, because I don't know about you, but we're sheep, we're forgetful people. Amen. I like that. That's what I'm talking about. I need that. I need that. But seriously, we forget. And so my purpose here for this message is to let us know that the presence and the authority of Jesus is with us as he commissions us to continue his kingdom agenda, which is to make disciples. And so what we're going to see in this passage, we're going to see three movements when it comes to this commission. We're going to see three movements. These three movements are the authority of the commission, obedience to the commission, and the promise of the commission. We're going to see the authority of the commission, obedience to the commission, and the promise The promise of the commission. But let me set it up for you real quick. Let me give you a little context of where we're at in this passage. We're at the end of the Gospel of Matthew here. And what has just happened is that King Jesus has resurrected. He has defeated death. He is no longer in his grave. He has raised from the dead. And as Mary and as both of the Marys are going to see him, they're met by an angel to be confirmed to say, he's not here. In fact, go and tell your brothers to meet him in Galilee. And as they're going, what's fascinating is that they meet Jesus, and the text tells us in verse eight that they have um, that that they were uh, they had fear and great joy, and they go pursue and they go let them know the disciples the eleven hey Jesus is here go meet him on the mountain in Galilee. And what's happening is that Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, he's meeting with the 12. Get this, the 12. And I got to talk about this. We're here because the obedience of the 12 took the commission serious. I mean, excuse me, the 11. 11 men, fragile and all, went and met Jesus to get their marching orders to be commissioned out to carry the ministry that Jesus started and the truth is, when we think about this passage and we want to talk about it a lot and we say it all the time, we, we, we undermine the weightiness of this passage. The truth be told, we, this is a weighty passage. This is a heavy passage. This is a, a tall and daunting task. This isn't just something that it's like, oh, OK, I can just wake up and flip a switch and go make disciples. No, this is weighty. But we're going to see through God's word that he, even though it's weighty, he equips us accordingly. And so, before we get to these passages here, I'm setting this up. We're gonna to get to the main crux of this text, but I want your eyes to look at verse 17. Oftentimes, we go jump right into the verse 18. We're to go and make disciples and teaching and baptizing and all and observe all that God has told them. And He's with us the city end of the day. We're gonna get there. We're gonna to get to shout in a minute. Don't worry. We're gonna get there. But what we cannot overlook is in verse seventeen. Look with me at verse seventeen. Here's what this says: When it says now uh, in verse sixteen, the eleven went to Galilee to the mountain to meet Jesus, where he had directed them. But here's what's fascinating: It says that they saw him and they worshipped him, and some doubted. Fascinating. We've seen earlier with uh, with both of the Marys, there was fear and great joy. Now we see here that there is a worship, but there is a doubt, a doubt of hesitancy, a lack of confidence. Man, is this really the Messiah? Is this really the king? Is this really the one? Get this. Here's what's fascinating. They were with him for uh, three years and there was a doubt in there. What this lets us know is that doubt and worship can coexist together. Even when you're unsure, even when you have questions, they can still coexist. And here's the beautiful thing about this, though. Even the good news is that even within our doubts, guess what? We have a God that is not afraid and still draws near to you. The text says that Jesus came in verse 18. But really, it says he came near. God is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your concerns. But my brothers and sisters, what I submit to you, don't allow your your lack of confidence or your questioning keep you from a God that wants to be near. I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen people have doubts. We've seen it with Moses. Moses doubted. Moses had all kinds of insecurities and was yet trying to pretty much talk himself out of doing what God has called him to do. And yet God still used him for his glory. And what we're going to see in the rest of this passage that God uses broken and fragile and not so strong men and women to still carry out the kingdom agenda. So get this, you don't have to have all the knowledge. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. It's okay if you got some questions and your concerns. But what we're going to see is that the thing is that we can still move as we're having doubt. So we'll see in the remaining verses that this commission that God gives his disciple, this message as we are going to unpack to continue His kingdom agenda. And I want to ask you to do this. Excuse me, I want you to do this with me. Imagine as we get ready to go through this commissioning. Imagine yourself receiving these orders for the very first time. Receiving it with doubt, receiving it with questions, receiving it with excitement, receiving it with like, hey, let's go, like uh, whatever you're feeling, receive it for the first time. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first movement, which is the authority, of the, the authority of the commission. The authority of the commission. We see in verse 18, after Jesus came near to them, he said, All authority on heaven, or excuse me, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is so key here. Because we're going to see here in this little passage that we have authority that is spoken of. But then at verse 20, at the end of it, his presence is with us. So as we get the commissioning orders to go carry out the mission and the message of God, it is bookended with authority of God and his presence with him. So God is setting us up to make sure we do well. But he says all authority in heaven has been given to him. Here's what's very important. We got to unpack this and understand this. This authority... It's the right to control. It has absolute total power. He shares it with nobody else. It is solely God's himself, and He distributes as he, as he see fits in this passage, he distributes to his disciples. So make no mistake here, make no mistake. We are to come under the authority of God and live our life and submit to his rule and his reign as disciples, as we are going. And notice here, when he says this authority, it's not just limited to earth, it's in heaven and on earth. There's not a realm that Jesus, our king, does not have power and control over. It's speaking to his deity as Jesus being God, still fully man and fully God. And yet here's what's beautiful about this. This authority is a declaration that he has uh, uh, overcome all of his enemies and his death. Previous before this, he just rose from the grave. He has power over his enemies in death. Let me share a few passages in God's Word. You don't believe me? I think God's this is a beautiful thing. When you, people ever question things, God's Word got an answer for all of it. Romans chapter 14, verse 9, it says, For this end, Jesus Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. I love what it says here. Revelation nineteen sixteen. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The authority that Jesus has is so powerful that he is the only one that can give up his own life. Matthew 27, verse 50, it says that as he was hanging on the cross, he gave up his breath. I don't know about you, but I don't have that type of authority. I can't just decide that I want to go ahead and lay my life down in a sense to give it up after experiencing something that ultimately nobody would ever be able to survive. And so i got to drive this point here. i got to drive this point because we are, um, we're forgetful people. We're forgetful people. And we need to hear this often. We do not have this kind of authority on our own. It doesn't matter what your status is at work. It doesn't matter what your power is. It doesn't matter what your bank account is. It doesn't matter what political affiliation you got going on. No matter you want to name it. It doesn't matter if you graduated uh, summa cum laude of your class. You could be the smartest person of the world. We do not have this type of authority that God is commissioning us with. And if we remove ourselves from that authority... We then do not walk with the power that God has given us and empowers us with to carry out this message that he is giving us here. I love what one theologian says that Jesus shares his authority only with disciples so that they may see the rule of God in and through their lives. And it's important for us to understand that this is not, uh, it's important for us to, to remember that we wrestle against not against flesh and blood. Most of the time, the reason why we as disciples and followers of Jesus are failing or getting our natural tails whipped is because oftentimes we're trying to fight a spiritual battle by physical means. And we can't do that. We cannot do that. This is a spiritual warfare that's taking place. We wrestle against spirituals and principalities, dominions and darkness. And so God empowers us and equips us with this authority. And now that moves us to our second movement where we see there is obedience to the commission. Obedience to the commission. Look what he says here in verse 19. He gives it. He gives in, in verse 19. He says, go. Therefore, make disciples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What we come here, this is the famous passage. We see this is what we hear all the time and we spend our time with and talking about and reciting. But just to review it here, because again, we're forgetful people. What we have here is one imperative, make disciples, which is a command, not an option. We don't get to select. We don't get to wake up and decide. Uh, I got some vacation days, so let me use a little bit of my PTO. I'm not doing this today. I'm not feeling it. I'm irritated right now. So I'm going to just take today off. This imperative, make commands, this command to make it. But then we see the three participles that we talk about, right? Go, baptizing, teaching. That's what we're going to unpack here. And as I said, this isn't an optional thing. This is a command that if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you submit to his authority, these are the orders and commissioning that we ought to carry out every single day until Jesus comes back or if he calls us home to glory, whichever happens first. And so again, to make disciples is to do what? We go, we baptize, and we teach. We make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching here. But let me unpack this. What is a disciple? We gotta revisit this. Hear me out. Because we forget this sometime. And we wanna be able to uh, speak to people about what a disciple is and who we are. A disciple is a learner who seeks to become like the one he or she is following. And so essentially, the goal of discipleship is to help people to become progressively like Christ, not like the world, not like your opinion. But like Christ, in character and conduct, in attribute and in action, not just words. That's what we see in its simplest form, what a disciple is. And so we get the first, uh, this command, this, this, this obedience to it is to go. Is this going, this first participle. And is an active one, you are as you are going, as you are living about your life, as you go, you are to make disciples. And what's fascinating about this is that when you look at it, uh, it says go and it says therefore, that therefore we've, uh, points back to the authority that Jesus just spoke of. So you go under and empowered by the authority that Jesus gives you. And then you even look in Acts chapter uh, chapter one verse six, where it says they awaited for the Holy Spirit with uh, they awaited for the Holy Spirit uh, to receive power before they went out. I'm paraphrasing there, Acts chapter one verse six, but they before they went out, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand, my brothers and sisters, we cannot remove ourselves from under the authority of God as we're going about our days. We can't because we will truly fail. So as you go, get this, that means you're crossing barriers, right? That means you're going across the street, inviting people to your dinner table. Unbelievers, believers in all, but unbelievers, you're going, you're going beyond the comfort zone to give them the gospel message to the lost and to the mature believer. And when you go, get this, you're leaving something behind. Oftentimes, we want to be so comfortable with what we have and thinking that it can't cost us something, thinking that we can keep everything, all of our comfort, and it is not going to cost us anything. That is the furthest thing from the truth. And if anything, the Bible tells, and particularly the New Testament, over 150 times, uh, many times, you're going to experience some suffering. I'm sorry. That's not my words. That's God's. Go look through the Bible. We're going to experience suffering. He says before they leave, he even tells them, hey, you will have trouble in this world. But peace I give to you, not that the world gives, but peace that he gives. So when we go, understand. It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost some tears. And I'm going to be honest with you. My wife and I did, we, we, we wasn't gung-ho about coming to Denver, if I'm being honest. No, there's nothing against Denver. Hear me out. Ain't nothing against Denver. Denver is beautiful. I love it now. I tell family back at home, Denver would never do this to us. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm there. I'm all there right now. But when it first happened, you're talking about our comfort, our family, all that your livelihood is, and you have it there, your doctors, your mechanics, your barbers, your dentists, you name it, your friends, your family, your church home, all of that encompassing. And yet we're praying, God, let let us do your will and whatever you say, do. And he says, yeah, go to Denver." you're like, wait a minute, hold up. That ain't what I asked to do. You laugh because you experienced some of that. It's a comfort thing. Got to be ready to share Jesus at all times with people. It's going to cost us something. Think about it. One thing about sports, I'm a sports guy. And one thing in particular about college sports, and even in, in, in all other sports, not just football, but all sports, is that there is a team of coaches that go out and recruit players all across the nation. And they do it not only while the season is going, but they also do it in the offseason. They're doing it all year round. Who is the next guy? Who is the next woman that coaches and teams are looking for to make their program great? And they go and everybody, get this, every coach on different team has different positions. And they're going to recruit for different reasons to bring all these people back to the team for this one common goal. Get this, with the hope of trying to win a championship. But we have a message. We have a, a message that won't tarnish. We have a crown that will not rust. We have an imperishable reef that we will get and that when we go, we get to recruit. We get to tell people, hey, let me tell you about a man that met me in my brokenness and he can meet you too. He can fix whatever you're going through. He can, he, can, he can be with you in this mess. Listen, there is hope in the, in the brokenness of what you're experiencing right now. So if, if recruiters go because it's their job, that's what they get paid to do. And guess what? When they fail or if they don't win and succeed, the organization fires them because they want better coaches so that their program can be good. But yet we have a God that when we fail, the text tells us that he's with us to the end of the age. So that means that he's faithful, that even if you mess up, when you fall, guess what? He's with you. He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to say you're worthless. In fact, he's going to draw near. He's going to patch you up. He's going to heal the brokenness and he's going to send you out. And he says, go in my authority here. Why would we not want to tell people about that? Because here's the reality. People are on their way to hell. And if they lose their last breath and they don't get a chance to know who Jesus is, I don't care how great they were, how much money they had. I never seen a hearse follow. I never seen a bank account following a hearse. All right, he says we get it. You're like, all right, I get it. Jesus, go. All right. I'm gonna go. Go and do what? We're gonna make disciples of all nations here. All nations here. And I think this is very important because I want to answer this two I want to answer these two questions. Who gets in and how they get in? He says, go make disciples of all nations. Who gets in? All nations, all people group, all ethnic group here. He's not just talking about a particular life, just only singular group. Only these people get in and nobody else does. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnic group, of all people everywhere. Don't limit it here. And then he says, how do but then you go? Well, how do they get in? It's the message that was preached in the gospel early on in Matthew. Repent before the kingdom of heaven is near. You go and give them the message that says, hey, there is one who is mightier than I. There is one who saves. There is one that marched up on a cross that went and carried that cross and got nailed to the cross for your sins and my sins. But get this, was mocked and spit on and did not come down, but had every right to come down had he want to. But yet because he loved God. And yet he is so rich in mercy towards you and I, and he submit to the Father's will, he sat there and hung for three days, nails in his hand in his feet, pierced in his side, still mocked on and spit on. And yet he died in that grave. But the beautiful thing is that he rose again with all power in his hands. And so therefore, any and every broken thing of our life, God can restore and he will heal and he is restoring. The question is, are we participating in that? And are we inviting people to experience the goodness of who God is? Because last time I checked, you don't get in on your bank account. You don't get in on your political parties. You don't get in on your status or your education. That's not how we roll in the kingdom of God. That's how you get in. You put your faith in hope. You believe in who he is and what he has done, even when there's doubt. Because we even see one of the satirians in the other gospels that says, he said when he was asking for the Lord to heal his son, he said, hey, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's okay to have doubts. I think you need to hear that. We're not asking for you to be some super Christian that just got to have it all together, can't shed no tears, that can't experience no heartache, no doubt, no no discomfort. That ain't what God is asking for. Make disciples of all nations. We are to reproduce in others what Jesus produced in us and is producing currently in us. That is faith, obedience, growth, strength, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, forgiveness, In understanding the gospel as his witnesses, that's what we want to reproduce in others. The message we take, the message of the kingdom is that there is one who is mightier. He saves, he restores, and he wants you to experience the goodness of him for his glory, not yours. Again, the beautiful thing about this message is that it breaks down barriers any artificial barriers that our culture has er uh, eradicated and put up, the gospel message breaks that down because it has power. It's not because of who you know. Although that does help, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize that, you know, but we can't rest on that. If we are going to make disciples, we must cross barriers. We must cross boundaries of all kinds, ethnic boundaries, economic boundaries, social boundaries. We must cross them because get this. If you have a, if you, if you turn your, oh man, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. Hear me now. We miss and minimize the goodness of God when we try to box in the gospel and dictate who gets to experience it. We don't get to experience the fullness thereof of what he has to offer because we're so caught up in ourselves thinking that somebody doesn't make a certain money so I can't speak to them. Oh, they don't have this status? Oh, they're a stay-at-home mom? No, I'm a working mom. Oh, you, you, you got this? Oh, I'm not, mm-mm, that ain't my thing. Oh, you believe in this party? Oh, no, I'm good on that. What? Oh, what a shallow view of God and the gospel and the message we give when we take that type of posture. And what we see Jesus was doing was he was challenging and calling the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians, to lose their prejudice and unify the church. That's what he was telling them to do. And the same goes for us today. If we are to be the people of God, and we do not take up the mission of God and keep his mission before us, we cannot draw from Christ's authority. We cannot draw from his power. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says here. He says, discipleship is the key element of God's kingdom arena. It is the visible manifestation of God's comprehensive rule over every area of life. The effectiveness of the church is therefore evaluated not by numbers, but by its disciple making. Not by numbers, but disciple making. Let me ask you this question. Under whose authority are you discipling people? Under whose authority are you discipling people? Is it the world's? Is it your own or is it God's? It's a legit question we have to ask. Because we don't get to be stagnant in life. Life is moving. We're being discipled by something. We're drawing, we're putting ourselves, and we're subjecting ourselves under someone's authority. The question is, who authority are you discipling people under? Here's what he says here. as going. He says, he goes, he goes, make disciples. We go, we make disciples. He goes baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's fascinating about this baptism here is that I want to draw your eyes real quick to, um, um, to the word name. He says, baptize them in the name, singular, not plural, because he could have said names. But yet this is very key and very important. He says, baptize them in the name, singular name. And now he gives three pronouns the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now we see the triune God here in this text here. One God, three persons, distinct in every way. It is a mystery. I don't know how it is, but we see here in the text, in other places, Jesus speaks to it, God speaks to it. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in in, in this, the the Greek word baptize, baptizo, was used in the biblical times and it was understood as being dipped and immersed in something. So what would happen is that if a, if a woman wanted to make a fabric, if she wanted to make a dress, what she would do is take a linen, take the fabric, go to the dye maker, and she's like, I want a blue dye, I want a blue dress. And the dye maker would take the, uh, the, the fabric, dip it in the blue dye or the green dye or the red dye, or whatever it is, and when it comes up, it will then be that color. Same cloth, different color. And the same is what Jesus is telling us is that we ought to go. We ought to be baptized. There ought to be a public proclamation. We should not hide who we are because he did not hide who he is when he hung on the cross for you and I. And he was shamed for us. He didn't hide that. He endured the public humiliation. So surely we can be public about our profession of faith and who God is and what he's done for us. But he says, baptizing them. So we ought to be baptized. That means we are to be dipped and immersed in who Jesus is. And when we come up, we are covered in the blood. We are covered in the blood. Romans, Paul talks about this. Romans 6 4, baptizing. He says, baptizing the deaths, raised uh, raise that we may walk in the newness of life. We go down looking one way, come up looking like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm glad about that. And here's me now, your class, your ethnicity, your race, your political position, all of that becomes second to your faith. You as a Christian should drive, it should be, that should be known first before and above anything else. And I'm not minimizing those things, but we need to shift how we present ourselves to people. Your occupation is what you do. Your identity is Jesus. And so what God is saying is that we need public people. We need people that are in the, that are in the hospitals, that are in the courtrooms, that are in the classrooms, that are, in the, uh, that are mechanics, that are at home with children. You name the occupation, they need to see a physical, invisible representation of who God he is here on earth. And so that is what permeates your identity. That what drives your work. And that's what God is saying. We ought to have a public declaration of God and who he is. And we should not be ashamed of that. Because Jesus tells us even in Mark 8, he goes, listen, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Mark 8, 38, he says that. So then he goes on and says, teaching them. Teaching them to what? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Notice this is teaching, keep on teaching. And I love this because you are providing, it's saying you are teaching and you're providing instructions, get this, in the formal and informal setting. So yes, formal, come to church, let's sit, let's worship, let's learn. But also at the dinner table, in the gym, when you're on your walks. When you sit here and call roadside assistant And God miraculously has the person that's helping you come somehow out of nowhere, just ask you, hey, I think I was saved at 12. Do you think I'm still saved now? I'm coming to get my car jumped. But yet this man is asking about Jesus. When we pray for opportunities, he will open doors. We want to teach in a formal and informal setting. And we're teaching them to observe all, not some. Get this, all things, not uh, uh, all of what he has commanded here. That's what the text says. All, not some, not partial. I need to say that again. We don't get to cherry pick what we want to learn from God. We have to do what he gives us in, in this word here. Because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that all Scripture is god and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's what God's Word says. And observe, that means to, to keep. It's not good just to have knowledge of God. Many people know knowledge of God. There's non-believers that know knowledge of God. There's non-believers that actually know the Bible a little bit better than believers. Unfortunately, knowledge does not translate to transformation. Only there has to be action accompanied with transformation. That's why it says teach them to observe all that I have given you. Observe, keep, obey. Do. It's not an option. It's his words. What are some things that Jesus commands that he was obeyed? If you, if you go back and look, he told them, servanthood, wash the feet, serve one another, love one another, forgive one another, be gracious to one another, be compassionate to one another, sing psalms and hymns to one another, intercede on behalf of one another. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Notice that what Jesus' command is not just sit here and let's just study soteriology and eschatology and and, 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 and all the the ologies that's going on. Don't get me wrong. That's okay. That's okay. But he says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you here. In James 1, uh, 22, it says, let's not be only hearers of the word, but doers of his word. Colossians 1, 23, uh, 28, it says, that we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You can only present people mature in Christ if you're with them and teaching them and observing them and encouraging them and give them actionable items. Again, transformation transformation does not happen with knowledge alone. It has to be accompanied by action as well. As you are discipling people, what are you discipling them with? Are you discipling them with the commands of God or the commands of this world? It is through the power of the Holy Spirit and applying God's word to every area of life that leads to transformation. So we've already talked about the authority of the commission. We talked about the obedience to the commission. In this last part, in part, as I close, we want to talk about the promise of the commission. The promise of the commission. What does he say here after he gives these commands to go and to, uh, to baptize and to teach? He says at the end of verse 20, he says, And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. This is comforting news. This should give us comfort. This should give us strength. This should help us to be able to endure when life gets hard. Because what's fascinating is that in Matthew chapter 1, we see where it talks about Emmanuel, God with us. He's ending the gospel of Matthew here talking about Emmanuel. God is with us here. And notice here, this was fascinating. This brought tears to my eyes. When you look into the language and it says, when he says always, it's really what this is translate can say is that all day long. He's with us. As the whole earth turns on his axis day and night, he is with us. And then a beautiful thing is that it's emphatically, and he's saying, I am with those. He's using like, he's speaking emphatically. He's using this, uh, this language here. He says, ego, I'm me. He's using I, I am with you always, every day until the end of the age. We see when we read Psalms 23 where it says, Yo, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff are with me. They comfort me. God is with us at all times. He's with us everywhere we go and we can rest in that and we can go with power because of that. These verses lets us know. This verse lets us know that He's with us daily. He's with you when you sleep. He's with you when you rise. He's with you to help you, uh, to forgive you. He's with you to sustain you and to give you strength, to defend and to keep. He's with you in sorrow. He's with you in joy. He's with you in life. He's with you in death, my brothers and sisters. He's with us now and we will be with Him in eternity. Let's take the message to everyone knowing that we have authority that comes from God and that He's with us every single way. So even when we fail, even when we're fragile, even when we want to get up, it says to the end of the age, God is faithful. And I'm so glad his faithfulness is not predicated on who I am and what I do. So I close and I ask you this, Grace City, what kind of people do you want to be? What kind of disciples do you want to make? What would it look like great city to walk and to continue to stay under the authority of God, being empowered by the Holy spirit, knowing that he's with us as you go and make disciples. There was a good message that everyone needs to hear. Jesus is the king. Nobody wanted, but definitely the king that everybody needs. Let's pray.